Hello, everybody. Tony Bacigalupo here, and I am hanging out with Kat. Oh, no. How do I pronounce your last name? Velos? You could say Velos or Veos. <laughs> Veos? Yeah. <laughs> I like Veos. Okay. All right. Veos. Uh, Kat Veos, uh, thank you so much for joining me. Hi. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really glad to be chatting with you today. All right. So tell me a little bit about how you ended up where you are right now. You are... Um, uh, just such an, uh, you're brilliant. Your book is amazing. Your illustrations are amazing. Um, when we met in San Francisco, bef right before everything went to hell, uh, <laughs> you, you and me and, and, and our friend Jillian Richardson, we got to have such a cool conversation and you were so generous uh, giving us, you know, your book and, and your tote bag and all the cool little things. And I, I'm just so impressed by your voice and your passion and your message of empowerment. And what I'm curious about is how you ended up being the person that you are right now. And I realize that I'm asking you to tell me your life story, but maybe if you can give me kind of a compressed version of, of, of how we ended up with the you that we have today. Yeah. So I'll give you the mini version. Um, so my background is as a designer, a graphic designer, visual designer. Um, and I was doing that sort of work, uh, certainly graduated that way. And that was the first part of my career path and um, just always been a part of how I approach life uh, with a creative lens. And after a few years of that, I wanted to feel like I was making a bigger difference in people's lives. So I actually left my design job and spent several years working nonprofit doing creative facilitation because I wanted to work directly with people and I wanted to be focused on empowerment. Um, so this was a lot of like personal development projects, programs. Um, creative empowerment and facilitating like constantly uh, workshops, learning programs, everything from like hour long sessions to eight day overnight retreats. So um, really full time, beautiful time in the Pacific Northwest. And when I moved to California six years ago, I wanted to go back to doing design, but things had changed in the design world. And so the path I kind of jumped back into the stream with was user experience design, because it was a mix of my background in visual design and my focus on designing experiential learning programs. And so um, in UX design, you are looking to like solve problems for people based on like some difficulty that they're having with a certain task or accomplishing something. Typically, this isn't a digital product. Um, I worked at a couple startups. I worked at Pandora. I worked at Slack. Um, and basically got to combine my skills in design with my skills in people, like designing for people. And when I moved to the Bay Area six years ago, I also found it to be a really difficult place to form like deeper, longer lasting friendships. Um, most of the people that I ended up being close to were people I knew from before I got here. And it was kind of puzzling to me. The more people I talked to that I met here too also described that they were having difficulty with like friending during adulthood um, and like very charming, lovely people. And it's not like we weren't meeting cool people, like going to events and making small talk or like chit-chatting with people is so easy, but that doesn't mean that that person turns into a deep, deep friend. Um, so with my like user experience hat, I was like, how could we make this easier for people? And that's, that path is what led me to writing We Should Get Together, um, the book that you are referencing. And uh, now in our current global pandemic, um, I'm just about to release a new book tomorrow called Connection, uh, Connected from Afar, which is about belonging and connection from a distance when you can't get together and you can't see each other face to face. Um, how can we still deepen those bonds of friendship and have a more um, meaningful 
and connected and like resilient platonic connection in life. Because adult friendship is hard and it shouldn't be. <laughs> Your sound cut off, Tony. I can't hear you. Sorry, that was me. Do you think that it has to be? Do you think that like, like we say that it's hard and I think that there are legitimate reasons it could be hard, certainly for certain like uh, like parents and like couples or certain like demographic kind of reasons. But um, do you think that it has to be hard? It's not that um, anyone's like making it hard intentionally. There are, I was researching this over the last like four or five years and effectively like the last two years really buckled down on it. And there's so much research that goes into showing how circumstantially it is hard. So for example, um, one of the things that's a super big challenge here in the Bay Area and New York, right close behind us, is the hypermobility issue. So people are constantly moving, like moving in and out of town, moving in and out of neighborhoods, moving in and out of jobs. Um, and that constant transiency makes it harder for anything to develop, right? Um, and so it makes dating hard and it makes friendship hard. Um, same thing with busyness and like addiction to busyness, which very thriving economic centers uh, are typically very busy places, but busyness is also a mindset and it's a habit that we can change if we want to, if we want to have room in our life for different things that we value, like connection. Um, and But it just so happens that large urban centers tend to be places that concentrate like high rate of mobility, transiency, also like high rates of busyness, as you mentioned, the demands of partnership and family get in the way. And the last topic that I talk about in the book that's really within our own control is our openness to intimacy and being vulnerable to develop the depth that we want in our friendships. I feel like that makes a lot of sense. You know, on the kind of like transiency and workaholism side, those are things that are kind of tendencies, societal tendencies, but to some degree they're within our control that yeah. we don't, we don't have to play that game. And, um, and point of fact, you know, real uh, community connection, real sense of connectedness requires some sense of continuity and consistency. Exactly. And so if you, you know, if you're, if you're not feeling that consistency, you know, it, maybe it helps to look at to, to what extent are you able to develop some kind of sense of ritual and rhythm and, and, and real like, you know, consistency. And I know in New York, it's, 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 you know, historically been a huge problem. Um, and I wonder now, actually, you know, as we deal with this online world of gathering, how mm -hmm. that's affected in the sense that our, to some degree, our transience has been stunted. Uh, and maybe it's kind of forcing us to stay put for a little while. Um, you know, we can still kind of hop around from one Zoom dance party to another or whatever. <laughs> But, you know, we could conceivably be way more consistent with stuff if we choose to be. Yeah. And it's that consistency and repetition. That's where we build familiarity. And from that familiarity is where we also start to build trust. And when we build trust, we build like closer bonds. And so that's where friendships get deeper. It's not um, meeting new people is, is not the problem. Like that is not a problem in cities is like, oh, there's no new people. It's like, actually, there's like millions of new people. But what you want when you typically think about like having a close friend is somebody not just that you talk to once or that you met for half an hour at a dinner party or a zoom gathering but it's somebody that you can reach out to in a time of need it's somebody you can text at like 
the drop of a hat and be like, hey, can you talk? I have something on my mind or whatever. And you have that closeness um, that just comes from that repeated contact and the development of um, those feelings of, of really being known and being accepted in someone else's life and vice versa. Right. So, uh, and, and this is, you know, especially true in our urban centers in New York, San Francisco, just been huge event hubs. And, you know, I'm talking about kind of like the old normal and we'll talk about where we're at now and where things are going, but um, it's easy to make a million contacts and acquaintances and maybe even some good friends in there and have some really amazing conversations. But it's also easy to just be so watered down where somehow I have hundreds of friends and nobody that I feel like I can call. Exactly. So, all right. So, so tell me a little bit about what you found works. What's the prescription? How do we solve this as like an individual, but then also maybe as a community organizer, if I'm looking to create something that really goes further. Right. So in, we should get together. I describe a concept I came up with called hydroponic friendship. I'm a gardener. I'm a certified master gardener in Washington state. And I think about a lot of things through, uh, the lens of the natural world and metaphors of that type. And so one metaphor that just kept coming up over and over again um, in doing my interviews with people was that they were lacking time. They felt like time was the biggest barrier to developing the kind of connection that they wanted. And so in the absence of time, I said, you know, if I was growing a plant without soil, right, you can do that in water if you give it lots and lots of nutrients. And so if I was growing a friendship without a lot of time, what would I do? And so what I came up with there was a recipe for increasing the amount of time spent, like when, with the time you do have, increasing the level of vulnerability and, um, and trying new things together. Um, one of the interesting pieces of research I found was that novel experiences bond people quicker than stayed ones. Um, so doing regular things over and over again the same way, whether it's going to happy hour or having the same conversation about the news in your day-to-day life. If you do these things over and over, yes, it builds familiarity, but it doesn't um, bond a new friendship as quick as doing something unusual or unique or just like slightly different. (laughs) And so um, with that, that framework is what I brought to my new book, Connected from Afar because right now what we're missing is not necessarily time. A lot of people are at home and they have more free time on their hands. However, what we're missing is proximity, which is one of the other things you typically need to form a friendship. Um, And so in the absence of proximity, what we're going to dial up in our like nutrient mix is vulnerability and connection. Um, So all of the um, activities and prompts and projects and things that are in there are developed to give you a sense of like closeness, empathy, understanding this person on a deeper level, letting yourself be known and understood on a deeper level and like ramping up the vulnerability because there, that's where we really start to know somebody, not just on the surface is like, oh yeah, I know so-and-so, I know what they do and I know what they look like. It's like, no, no, like, do you know what really matters to them? Do you know what's helped make them a part of who they are today? And so that's what the focus uh, really is on. And then having repeated experiences of that to get closer. So just to kind of reflect what you're saying a little bit, because one of the key elements that we have is that physical proximity and the body language and all of the things that come associated with that. Since we don't have that now, what we're, what you're talking about is essentially that we 
kind of like if someone's lost a, a, a physical, um, like a sensation that you can, you can, you can amp up the other ones to compensate to some degree. And so vulnerability being one of them or consistency being one of them where we can really focus on kind of designing for those kinds of things and going deeper. And then that, you know, essentially, you know, what we're saying is, okay, because we're all talking about connecting over, you know, video meetings or, or, or similar, uh, we have to deal with the constraint that everyone's on a glowing screen far away from each other, but we can really create experiences where people can open up, talk about their feelings, talk about what's going on in their world, especially now since everybody's going through something hard and have somebody come away saying like, wow, I know I was just on a video chat, but like, I really felt something. Yeah. Right. And that's, you know, that's when you know you're getting somewhere. Um, What do you think about what's going on lately? Because there's been the last few weeks, this incredible shift where suddenly gathering in person has become basically impossible. Mm -hmm. uh, But gathering online has suddenly proliferated in all these ways that have never happened before. Um, But it's largely been mm, largely consumption oriented. There have been some uh, interactive components um, and largely a la carte in the sense that people just kind of drop in and out. There have been consistent communities. Um, What are you seeing? What are you you liking? What do you think? Let's start with what you're seeing that you're liking uh, and and not liking. And then we could talk about where, where, where we think we could go from here. For me on a personal level or for me speaking uh, in terms of like for the culture? Because <laughs> yeah. there's things I'm personally liking, but there's things I, I evaluate from a, a lens of, you know, society. Let's start with the first and go to the former and go, go to the latter. Yeah. <laughs> so things that I'm personally liking. So humans are extremely adaptable creatures. If we weren't adaptable, we wouldn't have made it this far. Right. Um, and so I... I'm surprised, but not surprised at all by how quickly people have been like, oh, we can't do the thing this way. So we'll find a way to do it that way. It's like, we're social creatures. We want to be with each other. And as soon as you tell people that you're not allowed to have something or do something, you're going to be like even more motivated to try. Right. So with the restriction on gatherings and the restriction on people seeing each other, it's like, oh my God, let's rush quickly to do as much of it as we can in this other way. Um, And I think that flood of um, new opportunities is great because there are a lot of people, probably a lot of extroverts who really, 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 really want to be connected right now. I'm an introvert. Um, I'm having an easier time adjusting to this because I get my social needs met on a a different level. So um, I think it's great that the proliferation of like creative options that has been happening is wonderful. I do think it would be a mistake to assume that because there's like a thousand different things happening virtually, that means like we have to attend all of them because it's only going to create a different kind of FOMO, which is like virtual FOMO instead of IRL FOMO. And that's not really helpful. I think it's more useful to know like what to know yourself, to know what kinds of um, interactions meet one's social needs for fulfillment or satisfaction, and then to like have that amount and then to say when you're satisfied, that's okay. I don't have to attend every single Zoom, every single virtual event because um, that's not necessary. <laughs> 
Otherwise, it's just a different kind of overwhelm. It's a different kind of feeling left out. And it's like, focus on what you care about. And if what you care about is having experiences of depth, like it's enough to reach out to like two or three friends in a week, have an awesome conversation and be like, I'm good. Now I'm going to read my book. You know, maybe that's just the introvert mantra. That's that's I'm waving the flag over here for us. I, I really, no, I really hope that people who tune into this that that some number of them feel like they just got a sense of permission that they maybe didn't realize they were needing. Yeah, <laughs> just say you know what, it's okay. And um, and you're right. I mean, in such short order, I feel like we 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 even transpose the negative things yeah. of like of like a FOMO. Because now there's all this like international global programming that's happening all over the world where now we can see like our favorite artists perform for free from their living rooms. And there's all these like new programs that are coming out, virtual museum tours and like all these things. And um, all of it. And, and actually, I don't know if this happened with you, but even just keeping up with family and friends, all of a sudden there's this sense of we're, we're getting back into calling each other again. Um, which is wonderful. And it's been so great to spend that time, but it's been like every night for a week straight, uh, we're on video chats with our friends in the evenings and it's, it's, it's wonderful, but it's also like, wow, wait, when do I take time for just like reading a book or unwinding or, or whatever? Um, yeah. and it's so funny cause it's within our power. We shut the lid on this thing and it all goes away. And yet, mm-hmm. you know, it's still grabbing us. Um, and maybe that's just a virtue of, the fact that we're all adjusting to this time and everyone's handling it a little differently and it is what it is. But I have to, I have to wonder if maybe when the dust settles a little bit, we, we can't, we can't think a little bit about how to use this time to learn better about how to belong to ourselves. Yeah. You know, really use solitude as, as, as a, as a virtue right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my brother sent me this beautiful thing. If you want, I'll read it to you. It was um, a beautiful, beautiful quote. Let me grab my phone over here. I had my phone on the other side of the couch away from us. But um, it's a beautiful thing about the the meaning like of this time and of this. It's almost like we've been given permission to unplug for a while mm-hmm. and to accept that like being is enough. Um, it's, it's a little bit long, so I'm just going to read a little part of it. I'll kind of jump around. He says, with this, he didn't write this, Emma Zach wrote this. Um, and it says, with this open time, you do not have to write the next best-selling novel. You do not have to get in the best shape of your life. You do not have to start that podcast. What you can do instead is observe this pause as an opportunity. And then I'll kind of jump ahead. She says, what if we became curious with this free time and had no agenda other than to experience being? What if you created art for the sake of creating? What if you allowed yourself to rest and cry and laugh and play and get curious about whatever arises in you? What if our true purpose is in this space? You know, like it goes on and on. It's really beautiful. Highly recommend reading the whole thing. But where it's can I, Where can I find it? <laughs> um, Emma Zach, if you look on her Instagram, I believe this is where he sent it to me from. Yeah. Amazing. Z-E-C-K, Emma Zach. Yeah, but it's like we have permission to unplug for a little while, to go a little slower, to do something with intention, you know, or to just be, to just experience the fact that you're alive and you don't have to move. 
I'm feeling it. I'm feeling, <laughs> I'm feeling freshly inspired because I, I saw that as an opportunity, like one benefit, one potential benefit is like, wouldn't it be great if we took this as a chance for us to all just stop for a minute, really go inward, do the work that we've been avoiding and maybe come out a little bit more healed, a little bit more, you know, knowing ourselves better. And I, I just think, I think it's really beautiful that you and I who have so many tools and so much experience around gathering people and bringing people together and social things um, that here we are talking about, what if we embrace not, you know, what if we embrace um, not participating in those things and just being by yourself. And I, I, I think that, you know, the work that I've been doing with Jillian on the joy list, you and, and previous to that, I've been working on this idea of how to help people find belonging. And uh, that I think a lot of that comes with better facilitation and better gatherings. Um, but it, I think a, a, maybe half the equation or more is equipping people to understand themselves well enough to know what it is that they're seeking so that when they do go out and participate in something, they can actually find the belonging that they want. Um, because what I'm finding is that even if people go to a really well facilitated program, um, if they don't know themselves well enough to be able to, to, to connect to that in the way that they need, then there's, it's still not going to take. So we still need to be able to do that inner work. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, so I, I'd love to hear a little bit more from you about, you know, what you would recommend people do. We're talking about this in kind of big picture, but in terms of like specific things people can do, and this can be, you know, on the solo side or on the, on the social side, I'd love to hear kind of things that you recommend. I know you've got some great activities in the book on terms of the social side, but are there any kind of favorites that you think, particularly within the context of where we're at now that you hope lots of people would try? Yeah, I think that the time that we're in right now gives us a very, it gives us permission to have the kinds of conversations that wouldn't normally arise in what we call the before, right? The before quote unquote normal life, um, the old way. Um, and one of those things, you know, I, I am a big fan of diving deep. I'm going for depth over like breath. Um, and so one of the um, things that I talk about in the book and that I prompt people to do is to pick like two or three, maybe four people that you know, that you love and trust. They're a friend. Maybe they're a longtime friend or maybe they're like a newer friend, but it's somebody who's already a part of your life that you want to be closer to and to focus on developing those relationships at a deeper level during this time, whether this time lasts another one month or whether it lasts 18 months or we don't know. And with that, what I'm offering or inviting people to do is to explore what it feels like to engage in a different way with this person, to have the kinds of conversation that you've never had before, or to learn something about each other that you've never talked about before. And so um, I sort of think about it like the, the image that's coming to my head right now is like snorkeling and like scuba diving, you know, like I like snorkeling, but like maybe what we're, what we're looking for here is like diving deep. It's like going really under the water, like a scuba diver does. Um, and bringing like a super deep, generous curiosity to each other 
and seeing how those relationships um, can deliver even greater feelings of belonging because you're starting from a place of already having some familiarity and some trust, um, but seeing where else it can go. I think uh, sometimes we get into certain patterns or habits or we think like, oh, like that's as close as I get with that friend. Like we talk about these four things or whatever, but it doesn't have to be that way. And so what, it, what this is, is an invitation to um, say, you know, to somebody like, hey, I'm so glad you're a part of my life and I really want to be closer friends with you. Would you be up for doing like three or four of these that I've bookmarked, you know, that I'm really excited to try with you. Yeah. And then if that person's up for it, it's like, do that and then experiment and see what happens. So uh, like a, like a shared activity that, that you've been meaning to do. That kind yeah. Of all of the, all, everything that's in connected from afar are shared activities. They're ones that you can do one-on-one -on -one with another person, or if it's like been a group of friends, some of them you can do together in a, in a small group. Um, you could do it with your family. You could do it with your partner. It's mostly geared at friendship, but um, all of them are applicable to other types of relationships too. Neat. Neat. Are there other specific ones you want to call out like uh, activities that are, that are. Yeah. yeah. I'm looking at my, uh, my iPad of drawings here to jog my memory <laughs> of like the ones I wanted to talk oh, about. Your new illustrations. <laughs> yeah. There's a whole bunch of them. Oh. Um, so um, one that I would recommend that um, is pretty fun. I talked about it with one of my friends last week. Um, it's a morning ritual. And so in this one, uh, you talk to a friend to find out what they normally do first thing in the morning. And you both share about that. And you could say whether it's the first five minutes of the day or your first half hour of the day or hour. Sort of like before your day really gets going, how do you fill that time? And after you figure out, well, what things are required, whether it's like, feeding the cat or like giving your kids breakfast, um, you figure out where there's a gap and then you, um, you insert a like five minute difference into that gap. Um, so um, one that my friend and I were talking about last week was instead of like waking up and checking Twitter first thing uh, to be like up on the news, but also up on anxiety um, is instead to read like, two or three poems by Mary Oliver or David White. Um, they're two poets that I really love. Their work uh, sort of looks at the natural world and being alive and like the feeling of both mortality and, and life um, in a way that's just like really salient right now. And so we both agreed. We were like, yeah, when we wake up in the morning, instead of checking social or anything like that or email or whatever, we're just going to read a few poems and then like meditate for five minutes. Um, and so in this, what you get to experience is both your own personal experience of what it's like to change your morning routine in a way that inserts like a small amount of like mental health support in there. But also, you know that your friend is sharing the same experience, even though they're at their place doing it on their time. And you can talk to each other about how it went or like what you would change for the next week or um, how you might challenge each other, suggest each other, like add something new or try something different with that as like a basic recipe that you can then like remix and modify. All right. I want to gush for a second because um, <laughs> there's an elegance to what you just described that I think is, is just really, really important that I want to emphasize because there's a lot to what you said, you know, working in a routine, the wellness, the mental health, like a lot about that is, is, is good in general. But one of the things I'm hearing already is that people are so burned out on screen time that 
work is now on the screen. If it wasn't before, it's definitely more so now. Playtime is on the screen. Connecting with loved ones is on the screen. Like everything's on the screen now and people are burned out. And, you know, I'm producing like really fun online events now, but I don't, I wouldn't blame anybody for not coming because who wants to spend another two hours on the screen after all day, you know, doing it at work. But what you're describing is what I think is maybe the next generation of what people are going to be starting to do or what they should start thinking about is how can we have a deep connective experience that does not require us to be looking at each other on a screen for an hour at a time. And so what you're describing is something where we might not even ever talk. Maybe we exchange a text message or a short phone call or something, right? Where there's a short exchange, but we don't have to spend a lot of time face to face in order to feel like we've done something meaningful together because I'm doing this thing. You're doing this thing. We've resolved to do it together. And so even though you're not here, even though we're not talking to each other, I'm doing this activity with my notebook and with my poems, and I'm, I'm feeling connected to you knowing that somewhere in the world you're doing the same thing, right? Yeah. And there's something really magical. I want to do a whole offline event. I'm really excited to experiment with this. Maybe we could collaborate on it yeah. where we might even do like some stuff in the mail, um, you know, and have it be something where uh, like what if we did an event where where we never actually all talked to each other and we all just followed an agenda knowing that dozens of other people in the world were doing the same thing at the same time somewhere, you know, and I just, I feel like there could be some kind of magic to that. So I love that. I love that idea so much. I'm a huge fan of like analog fun yeah. and I've been writing a lot of letters this week and snail mailing. And so I love the idea of doing like a, a, the event at the same time in different places, but individually, And then maybe we like debrief together or something. Yeah, Yeah. right. Exactly. Exactly. There's some sense like maybe we still do get to speak to each other, but the bulk of it happens, you know, not in that setting. Yeah. I love that idea. This is great. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm I'm building on what you're saying here. And I I think that those activities are are just really, really great. Um, So uh, what else? What else do you think people need to be keeping in mind as they're, Uh, I guess from like the community organizer standpoint, like if I'm trying to um, build community, if I'm trying to facilitate something right now, um, or even if I'm like in a team, like maybe I'm a managing a team or maybe I'm just a member of a team and we're trying to figure out how to stay connected and we're not used to having to connect in this way. We're used to having the water cooler. What do you, what do you think like people can kind of look out for? I know that like we talked about, you know, like on the personal level, picking a few people to really go deeper with, is there any way that you can translate, you know, similar kind of levels of, of quality in a, in a group setting or community setting? Well, when you talk about a work team or a community group setting, I think that it's true that with the loss of like water cooler space or like hallway conversations or like all those impromptu conversations, like they matter, like they help you feel connected to somebody. It makes you feel like less alone, right? As a, as a person who works at a company. Um, I was just talking about this with a former colleague of mine at Slack. We were having a phone call the other night and she was saying like, I miss just like walking past your desk and talking for two minutes. And it's like, yeah, but you know, we, so instead what we have is like a concentrated conversation now where it's like for these amount of minutes, we're with each other. Um, but those small things really do matter. I mean, I do think I, I loved, uh, working on the team at Slack and I think Slack is a wonderful tool for that because it allows these short um, bursts of conversation to happen 
um, that don't require a lot of setup or a lot of like formality around them. You can just be like, hey, like I'm thinking of you. What are you doing? What'd you eat for breakfast? You know, what, what smoothie did you make today or something? Um, and so I do think that casual short bits of contact like that matter for teams maybe that don't use Slack or can or, or don't have a similar tool um, for like a more casual interaction. I would say that it's really important then to like, yeah, to probably book like a 10 minute, 15 minute coffee with each other um, to check in on a weekly basis so that you don't just become a box on a screen that you see only in the all hands meeting or something or the full team meeting. And this is also a good time for, in terms of leadership, for people who are managing a team or running a community group, particularly in the work context. One thing that's always been a pet peeve of mine in workspaces, and I think now is a great time for everybody to just um, redesign it, is to rename sick days as wellness days and let people take wellness time for whatever they need. Somebody doesn't have to have a cold or the flu or coronavirus to be mentally and emotionally exhausted and to need a break. And having it called sick time makes it seem like you can't use it unless you have a cold or the flu or coronavirus. And so um, this is a good time for like every company to reevaluate that kind of um, offering that they have if they do offer sick time and to allow people to take wellness time for literally anything you need, whether it's resting or, you know, meditating or crying or whatever it is and you don't have to explain it so let's not have any questions about oh are you feeling under the weather do you, do you are you coughing it's like none of your business why somebody needs wellness time let them have it um, and in a similar way in a community setting it's like making it easy to opt out um, one really great way that I saw this week for that to happen in a virtual hangout or a virtual gathering is that sometimes people want to be around other people but they're not necessarily feeling ready to talk a lot or say much, but they just didn't want to feel alone. And in that, to allow somebody who's in a gathering space to opt out by simply saying, I'm here today to listen. You know, when it comes around to them to, you know, share or to offer an idea, it's like, it's okay if someone just wants to be like, I came today to listen. Thanks for letting me sit in, you know? Yeah. Um, because otherwise, what we're doing is forcing extroversion as a, as a uh, requirement of connection. And that's not where everybody's at right now. It's, it's too overwhelming with too many things going on. Sometimes it, you just want to be near, but not in the middle of the, the ring. Especially now. And yeah. you know, you're, you're really making me wonder about the expectations around online, because if I walk physically into a room, part of what makes me scared to go to a new event by myself is that I don't, maybe I don't know what to expect. I don't know if I'm going to be asked to speak. I don't know the protocol. There's all these things, right? Um, but in many ways, we do kind of know what to expect with certain events that I can just so, show up and sit in the back of the room and consume it. Whereas with online, a lot of us are probably starting just now to develop new cultural norms for these things. So if somebody's hosting a Zoom meeting for, you know, uh, whatever, like a morning meditation or goal setting group or whatever, can I join it and just sit in, you know, is there, you know, are they going to be weirded out if I don't turn on my camera or, or don't participate? And I don't think I, I, like I actually had that the other day, there was an event my friend was running and I wanted to check it out just to kind of see how they do it because I'm thinking of working with them on some projects and whatever. And so they had this, this morning like intention setting thing. And so I was not at all in a position to be like participating in something. But I just kind of like clicked on the link and then I like 
it was like I opened the door to a small room of friends and they all like turned their heads to be like, who are you? You know, I was like, ah, <laughs> like, I was like, or like ran away. <laughs> Did you leave? You were just like, never mind, wrong Zoom and like exit. Basically, yeah. I, I messaged my friend. I was like, hey, like, I didn't really mean to like drop in on you guys like that. Like, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll check in with you later, you know. Um, but I, I realized that there's this weird sense of like, it's hard to walk in the door of, a, of an online space and know what the expectation is. And I feel like it could be really cool to create some kind of a construct to say like, first of all, it's the organizer. Maybe for me, if I'm organizing an event, I can, I can explicitly name it at the beginning of an event. Hey, just so you know, this is an event where we're going to have some interactive portions. I'm going to ask you to put on your camera, et cetera. However, if you don't want to keep your camera off, keep your microphone off, you're, you're more than welcome to just stay here and hang. And you know, I won't call on you. I won't call you out. It's totally fine. And then for the attendees, you know, for us to create an expectation that it's totally okay to jump in a, in a, in a thing and maybe just post in the chat. You could even with zoom, you could privately chat the organizer, you know? So if you don't want to broadcast it to everybody, you could just say, Hey, I'm just here to observe. I hope that's okay. Yeah. You know, I think that's really powerful. Yeah, I think that we're going to have to develop norms like this because what virtual gatherings don't offer that the real world does is a periphery. Like, Mm. that's what's missing, right? We're missing the periphery space where you walk in, like you said, and you just kind of stand in the back and you just listen to that lecture or that workshop or that conversation or that event. And you can just like stand on the side or sit on the chair in the back of the room (laughs) and be present, but also not have to be right up front. Um, yeah, I'm still navigating that for myself of like, what is it about these virtual gatherings that makes it feel like everybody has to be on all the time? And it's honestly like more tiring for me to feel like I have to be on like 100% of every call. I agree. I agree. <laughs> so um, this is great. I'm so inspired. I'm really excited to incorporate some of these things into my next uh, my next gatherings. And I'm actually now like drafting up my... Um, my, my totally offline event. So we can, uh, I can share it with you at some point. We could work on it. Um, that sounds great. I think I'm calling it zoom out. Yes. <laughs> it's a great name. <laughs> Such a nerd like that. Um, okay. So before we wrap it up, I'd love to ask you just a few things about, uh, places people can go to find, you know, uh, other great resources and voices. So, other people, other voices that you think are just wonderful people who are, who are doing great things in this world, people that we should know about, go look up. And then how do we find you? How do we buy your books? How do we reach you? Cool. Um, so first to shout out some people that I love and appreciate and I recommend checking out. Um, so there is a really great organization called the great discontent. Uh, my friend Hugh Weber is, uh, running that one and it's, they did a virtual potluck recently that I really loved and they do a lot of work around helping creatives and isolated feeling creatives, um, connect to each other around, you know, galvanizing. What is it? What's your discontent in the world? And like, what do you do? How do you show up in order to transform that? Um, so I recommend checking them out. Um, another great podcast that I really like that I connected with recently is called more happy life. Um, Andy's the host of that one and he, yeah, all of his contents like super uplifting, super relatable. Um, really recommend that. Let me see what else is in here. <laughs> um, 
I totally didn't prep you for this question, no. <laughs> but I trusted you completely to be able to handle it like a champ and you're doing great. So thank you for that. Everybody. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I also want to shout out uh, my friend, Lisa Orbe Austin. Um, she's a psychologist who has a book coming out in April about overcoming imposter syndrome and self-doubt. Um, so she's just like a force of nature, um, so dynamic and uh, highly recommend checking out um, her, either her TEDx talk or her book. Um, really, really great, great stuff. And let's see. As far as like other things I'm doing that I have coming up that I recommend. Um, so on the 11th, I'm going to be doing a free online workshop around connection during the time of quarantine. Um, that's going to be in the afternoon on Saturday, the 11th. Um, you can go to mindsetbymackenzie.com. I'm going to be co-hosting that with Mackenzie. She's another coach in my colleague circle. Um, and Is that Mackenzie with an M-A-C or M-C? M-A-C. Good uh, question. Mindset M-A-C. by Mackenzie. Yeah. Mindset by Mackenzie. Um, and so that's a free workshop. Just register there to get the info. I'm doing a workshop about cultivating stronger friendships during this time. That's on the 18th. Um, you can go to my website for that, uh, we should get together.com. And there at we should get together.com is uh, all the info about my books and events. So anything that I've mentioned here or that anybody wants to hear more about is on there. So connection um, activities are on there, workshops are on there, blog, lots of content around belonging and connection. Um, both of my books, We Should Get Together and Connected from Afar, are on there as well. Um, as well as anywhere else you would want to get books, whether that's Amazon, your local bookstore, et cetera. Um, you can order up either one of those. I do recommend trying to support local bookstores right now. They've been severely impacted by this uh, closure of many, many stores or the inability for people to go out and go to bookstores. So I recommend that. But uh, get it anywhere that works for you. They're also right on my website. And as an artist slash creative, I would <laughs> be remiss if I didn't say support artists by buying directly from them. It's the best way <laughs> to support true. the arts. It's true. It's, it's so easy for us to just go on Amazon because it's what we're used to. But like the artist gets such a small portion of that money compared to when you, you know, when you buy from the website, it's like aside from the credit card fee, every penny goes right into the, the artist's pocket and it really makes a huge difference. So yeah. Um, uh, it's always like, yay, an Amazon order. And it's like, woohoo, someone bought it on my website. Yeah, all right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, great. Well, I, I'm so glad we got to chat. Oh, and uh, uh, also on uh, on Twitter, Veosaraptor, which I'm going to – Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, on Twitter, Catfellows. S-E-R-A-P-T-O-R. Uh, that's the username, but if they just go at Catvelos, it'll come up. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So at Cat Velos. Okay. Got it. Yeah. V-E-L-L-O-S. You got, you, it's such a cool nickname. It's great. Thank um, you. I got to do what I can. <laughs> let's keep in touch. Let's find ways to do fun stuff going, going forward. And, um, and congrats on the, congrats on the book. Congrats on the new book. I'm very excited to check it out. And um, thank you so much for your time. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Tony. Thank you for all your great work. And I'm excited to make more fun things with you and support the work that you're doing. So thanks a lot. All right. Sounds good. Take care. Okay. Bye.